Welcome to No Challenges Remaining here at the end of the 2018 season. I am Ben Rothenberg, joined for the first time in a long time by my dear friend Courtney Nguyen. Happy end of 2018 tennis season, Courtney. And a happy end of 2018 tennis season to you, Ben. It's been so long. We've already caught up a little bit pre-recording, mm-hmm. but I still feel like there's so much more to catch up on. So I'm actually really looking forward to this because you and I have not talked that much in the last, we haven't really. the I last mean, three been... months. We've, you were up in Asia um, and then Europe and just traveling around the dang world, you. Um, and I've been pretty much home. <laughs> and not I, I liked it. I liked what uh, Mary Carillo said it on John Wertheim's podcast earlier a couple days ago or recently to when we were recording this. Um, that she just like naturally sort of de-enthuses about tennis as the fall goes on. And I definitely feel similarly. I feel like it's definitely like a time to sort of recharge, reset, step back. Um, even if there is good tennis happening and some fun things, and I, I know you had a lot of good stuff to cover in Asia um, and in, in Prague, I guess, too, for you. But um, yeah, I've enjoyed this healing time away, and hopefully I am better for it. Yeah, I, 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 I recall the exact same discussion that Carrillo had on John's podcast. And the only question that I had, because I knew that you felt the same way and, and you came to mind when she was talking about it. Um, and she's right that like, and both she and John were saying like, it's really tough as a tennis fan to be engaged every single week, just like the players, you kind of need to like, in your mind, just mentally take a break during certain sections of the season or certain tournaments, just like, oh, I'm taking like the next week or two off mentally. And But the thing that I was wondering is like, why does that always seem to happen? Like everybody collectively chooses for it to happen during the fall swing like why not do it for example during indian wells miami which are two big tournaments that don't lead into anything or middle east swing which is february it, it follows australian open it's perfect lull time or yeah. or even for me honestly i think because i love the fall swing and honestly it makes it and obviously it makes a difference because i travel for it which makes a difference but um the summer hardcourt swing is always tough for me it is always tough for me to personally, like obviously professionally, I do my job, but just for me personally to be as as invested in DC, San Jose, um, and and Canada in particular. Once I get to Cincinnati, I start to get revved up for the U.S. Open. But even, I mean, you know me in the summer and New York and everything that like <laughs> mm-hmm. it's it's actually that entire five to six weeks is kind of a tough one for me to really get my teeth into. Like, I really have a hard time caring. I had a hard time with the summer this year only because I felt exhausted from Europe still. Um, Because, I mean, I stayed a week a little bit later in Europe after Wimbledon this year. And Wimbledon moving backwards closer to the U.S. Open has made my life Well, and you stayed from Uh, Rome all the way through. Yeah. Right? Like, you didn't go home after the French. Didn't you do that too? I did, but like, yeah. But I, I'm just saying, I recognize why okay. you were specifically. Oh. I was just well, giving yes. context. It, yeah, no, which most reporters certainly don't do, even if you did it. Too. We are, <laughs> some, we are, Siamese twins of insanity on that in terms of, uh, whatever. And, Ow. yeah. 
<laughs> We're off to a great start of this I, episode already. I used to um, sing that song all the time when I was oh, a kid. Yeah, there, there, there is no other cat as whatever I am. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. It's kind of a problematic uh, like we, song to sing nowadays, but like at the time, oh, it's it was very fun. problematic. <laughs> and we can, I don't, I, I could make it an outro, but I'm gonna, gonna pass. <laughs> yeah, no, that I was exhausted too, but I think the fall is just easy to check out because there's no slam really on the horizon, um, like at all. The time zones are bad for fair enough time zones. Fan, as, as an American fan in, uh, <laughs> in the U.S., I was i sometimes i'm generally pretty nocturnal at uh in the fall to keep up with the asian swing occasionally and for whatever reason i just didn't really shift into that gear much at all this fall i just never got on that kind of cycle um and was having you know being relatively normal functioning waking up in an a.m hour um which i don't usually reliably do in the fall and yeah so i just didn't engage and i sort of tracked things and watched occasional highlights or matches would still be on when i woke up in the morning i'd watch a couple um yeah it was uh it's just tough it can be tough and i and i but i feel generally like having not traveled and i haven't traveled in the fall since 2014 for tennis so that i've it's my fourth straight year of as tumani would say ab abjuring this part of the schedule and i think that it yeah i feel like i'm gonna be more better in australia for it and maybe that's the curlo method and i will follow curlo anywhere she goes oh in terms of any any school of any cult that she wants to start i am there in the front row 100 percent sign me up yeah no 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 argument yeah no but 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 they make a good point that that anything i do think that this is a good lesson for all tennis fans it's a lesson for myself as well um that it's okay to check out for a little while yeah what whatever at whatever point in the season it's okay and and you know because it's being a tennis fan is is literally drinking out of a fire hose. Like you, like not mm -hmm. well, not literally, but like you know, it it's just it's <laughs> it's nonstop, and that's what I think draws. It definitely is one of the things that drew me in when I first, you know, especially when social media and internet and all that sort of stuff kind of lit. But the quantity like, is unbelievable. It's yeah. unbelievable. It's like nonstop. I mean, there's a tennis match going on every single day, and if you get really really geeked out about it, you also know that something incredible can happen every single day. And it's hard to just like ignore what's happening, you know, uh, but it's OK, too. And I think that it, going forward, that's like a New Year's resolution of mine personally. Spoiler alert is to just like be a little bit more disciplined and not like fall into these like traps of like just caring too much, I guess. I mean, like, I don't okay. know, like it, it, that's how I would kind of phrase it. it just like it's OK, like just cut the cord. You don't need to know what's going on this week in Istanbul. You can just chill out, like don't worry about it. And I have to fight that a lot, but um, yeah, but yeah, no, it can be an, it can be sort of it can be an addiction, or it can be a a a, a, pay, a rhythm that you get into that's pretty comfortable getting into. It can be sort of a hard treadmill, a, a scary treadmill to get off of if you feel like you're keeping that pace and how easy it will be to get back on it or whatnot. Um, but there was to wrap up this part. There was a lot of stuff that did happen in the fall. Um, Courtney, I guess you were there on the ground so first i guess from the women's side and then get to some men what what are the main you know what are the big headlines for what happened on court in the fall yeah in the fall i mean the main headlines were a alina svitolina who i think everybody pretty much said was the number eighth person that they would expect to win singapore honestly i would have picked an alternate over her <laughs> probably yeah no <laughs> TB i mean tbd alternate yeah. and this is this is you know that's part of the whole thing is like no one had faith in her i think a lot of people kind of 
and she was very aware, aware of this as well that 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 she was the the draw filler that she was a walking by i mean to say it cruelly but this is what i was seeing on twitter like as the qualification stuff was was kind of coming to an end and she goes and she wins the biggest title of her career and she does it in incredibly dominant fashion i mean even if there were a couple three setters in there like she was so good and it was impressive i was tacitly you know hoping that she wouldn't make it to Singapore because I did not think she'd be competitive. I mean, she really hadn't shown, I think her, she hadn't beat a top 50 player. Wait, are you, are you the Singapore. hater that she was referring to in her press conference transcripts? This makes so much more sense now. I'm the one that Sloan was referring to in her <laughs> press conference transcripts, but <laughs> not, not Svitolina. No, I mean, cause I mean, Svitolina, I've, I've been a long time admirer of Svitolina and her game and her results. I think she's been underrated a lot. I famously or infamously <laughs> voted for her as player of the year in 2017 you on my did. WTA ballot, um, which <laughs> WTA, like when I saw communications reps like the next year, they were like, really? <laughs> we, we know, we know that this was not a secret ballot. We noticed this vote. <laughs> we, were, <laughs> we were surprised Like you shouldn't nominate her if you don't want votes because she deserves votes. And she'd won three premier five titles last year and had a great record against top players. And it was great. And this year, to me, just felt more like a disappointment for her. Um, you know, she made an early quarter in Australia and lost badly in that quarter uh, with a bit of an injury, I think, to Mertens. And won Rome again, but didn't do anything to really distinguish Also won herself. Dubai. Also won Dubai, okay. Um, but didn't do, in my mind, compared to what sure. the expectations were for her. I mean, she won Brisbane, which was actually a really loaded tournament. But, you know, she didn't impress me that much compared to my expectations for her in 2018. And then, yeah, and then she goes and wins the biggest the toughest tournament of the year in theory in singapore yeah it, and does it pretty convincingly and it just and it just shows like that anything is possible as the wta when you throw if you play that tournament again you know eight more times each of them could have won it at some point like it's it's pretty it, it shows the sort of unknowability of it i think in some ways yeah no i mean it, it was it was pretty tight i mean i you know um you know, she played obviously Sloan in the final. Sloan had a great tournament. Even Osaka, she eventually got injured in her final group group match, but her two matches went three sets, and she had opportunities in in both of those matches. Kiki Burton's um, her match against Fidelina was was fantastic, um, and she eked out a win over Kerber, which was great. It was it was a very open tournament, and and let's not forget, like Pliskova won eight consecutive games to start her semifinal against Sloan before Sloan came back and won that in three. So you're right. I mean, I think that if you were to rerun it, you would get different, different, um, different champs. But yeah, so but but she was, uh, I think, a very, very big story and legitimately so at the end of it. And we'll see. I mean, obviously, Waz won uh, Singapore last year and then she went on to, to, to win the Australian Open and have a good season. Uh, so we'll see if this boosts um, things for Svitolina. I think the biggest benefit of winning that title for Svits, outside of the fact that it's her biggest title and it, it elevates her stature a little bit, I really like that it eventually led to her hiring Andrew Bettles as her as her primary coach. I think Andy has done a great job with her and is oftentimes not unlike like a Sasha back in the day, like just Definitely. got relegated to like hitting partner. Like, no, no, no. Like Terry Asione is my coach or like whatever. And I think Svinalina was constantly looking for a name brand coach to be her head coach. And then Andy would be like her hitting partner. But the reality of it is this guy knows how to talk to her, knows how to get the most out of her game and is incredibly positive. He's a really nice guy. So I was like really, really yeah. happy that she like kind of 
rejected the idea that she needed a name brand coach and like stuck with Andy. And I think that's going to be really good for her next year. So that's really good. Um, other big storylines from the fall on the girls side on the coach front. Just oh, go you ahead. Yeah, yeah, this. of course. I was going to say one thing we can mention on the coach front player who was absent for a lot of the fall because of injury is Mona Halep. I think her yeah. splitting with Darren or Darren stepping away, maybe it's a more accurate term um, from the tour, spend more time with his family. Which, again, as I said, it's my previous part of the fall. Like, yes, spend time at home, relax, it's all good. <laughs> um, I endorse that concept. What do, you, what do you think this means for Simona? And, and it's, it's, it was, Darren's been such a clearly integral part of her development in, into a number one player in the world and her staying there also. What, 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 how do you think she'll handle this? And what do you think the future holds for Simona short term? And who, I guess also what should she look for in a new coach? Yeah, no, I mean, it was so funny. I think that I was at the ITF media dinner, I think, when this when the announcement came from Darren. and In Prague? In Prague, when I was in Prague, yeah, uh, ahead of the Fed Cup final. And I had my, I obviously, because it was a dinner and you're like schmoozing and talking to people and like whatever, like I did not check my phone. Um, and then literally like I got back to the hotel and I look at my phone and I'm not lying. Like there were literally, there were like four to five straight WhatsApp and text messages where the only thing in the message was a broken heart. Oh, like to me. And I was like, what is going on? Like I, with no context, I was like, what is going on? And I checked, I was like, oh, okay. Um, and, <laughs> and I think that a, I'm not, I'm not that surprised by I wasn't that surprised by the announcement. I can't say I was either. No, and I think part of it is is just in talking to Darren throughout the season, like it was very clear that the fact that he had to be away from his family quite a bit was kind of weighing on him. Um and at the end of the day when you really think of it, like he did everything, like those two did everything. Like like they did everything that was on the checklist to do. She she got number 1. She won her won the French Open. She finished number 1 twice. Um you know, she put together like back to back two two best seasons that she'd ever had in her career. Um, and in a lot of ways, like when he now that he's stepped down, like because I've thought about it quite a bit, like in the off season since the announcement of like, what what does this mean? Yeah. And to me, when I think about Hallett for 2019, I'm more concerned about her back injury than the hmm. fact that she doesn't have Darren as of right now. I think that the work that those two put in and I think that the way that she was able and I still feel like the Halep story of how she changed herself she changed her character she changed her mind like that it's it's still despite all the ink that has been spilled about it I still consider it like one of the more like I don't know like like undertold uh, yeah. undertold emotional stories like it's still underserved because to do what she did, given the character that she has, is, like, unbelievable to me. Um, and so, like, I do think that that the t the work that they did do of her changing, I do think that it's permanent for her. And I do think that she's far more aggressive, far more positive, has better perspective about her career, not holding on too tight. She's not, Lenny, uh, you know, Lennying matches anymore it's a reference to of mice and men but she's not like okay. she's not lenny like she's not like loving the bunny rabbit so much that she kills the she kills the rabbit um mm. and so like she's like letting it go 
and and just playing tennis. And so I don't think that she necessarily needs Darren in her ear to like tell her that all the time. And I'm sure that he'll still text with her and whatever. So she just needs somebody that's on her team that just like brings good vibes. Cause, cause I think that that was one thing with her that, that she did have is that that team with her physio, with her, 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 her uh, fitness coach and with Darren, like they were just rock solid and there was no weirdness and it was just nice. And I think that was a nice environment for her to be in. So I think that's primarily like the thing that I'm looking for to, for her to find, hopefully. I think it's interesting. She was originally, well, she had told me that she was going to start her season in Shenzhen. I think it's interesting that she's not on the Shenzhen entry list. Yeah. So, and the, that. yeah. And so her first tournament, unless she takes a wild card at this point will be Sydney. Um, so I don't know how much of that is back injury related. I don't know how much of that is I want to find a coach or I'm delaying the start of my preseason, whatever it is, you know. So I think that those are a little bit more of the question marks for me, which are her health, because I think that what she proved last year is when she's healthy, she plays pretty freaking good tennis mm-hmm. um, consistently. So that's more my concern rather than whether Darren is in the box or not, which is not to diminish Darren at all, because we all know like what he did there. But I think it's almost a credit to him. He always said, like, I want to get to the point where I coach myself out of a job. And in a lot of ways, I think that he did. Yeah. No, handing the reins over to her pretty much. Yeah. Saying, you got this kid. Yeah, no, I think I think that's right. And I think that, I mean, I still worry with Simona that I feel like Simona is a player who mentally can drift a lot. You know, and I think that there was as much as Darren did a lot of good foundational work that I think will last. I think she will still need some course correction at times, just mentally. She can have she can throw in real bad matches that can kind of sap some confidence or sap some momentum. And and I think that I do think she's better off having worked with Darren now. And I think that she will. It's not like everything he did is for naught, but I do think that she does need to find someone. Maybe it's his continuing voices over text messages will be enough but just something to keep her on track because she does have more ups and downs than we're used to from someone who is like a kind of undisputed number one at this point. Yeah. I mean, we think that, but then when you look back again at 2017, I mean, 2016 was different. She definitely like threw in a lot of bad, like more than like five or six bad matches in 2016, 2017. I mean, what really the Rome final is the only like you're about, you're, you mean 2017 oh sorry 2018. i'm sorry 2018 yeah we're yeah. still in 2018 so 2017 obviously more than a handful of, of crap matches crap performances yeah. where she didn't show up but like 2018 outside of the rome final yeah maybe the rome final is just what i'm thinking about because i remember seeing i remember that match very clearly yeah i mean it was terrible but outside of that i mean even i mean even when she had basically like a busted back against Sibolkova, she actually played that whole thing like straight up, like in uh, Wuhan um, mm-hmm. and nearly forced a third set. Um, Kanepi just zoned, I think, at the U.S. Open, um, had match point against Burton's in the Cincy final, won Montreal, um, say, had match point against Chesue in Wimbledon, mm-hmm. won RG, terrible match in Rome. Madrid got pasted by Pliskova, which... One wouldn't expect to happen, so maybe that one. Uh, Stuttgart got roasted by Coco, but Coco was serving lights out that day. Madrid lost to Radvanska in three. Indian Wells got pasted by Osaka, but it was like a weird, like, cold weather match. I don't know. 
And that wasn't a great match, but yeah, no, I, that's the only one of the other ones that it all pings as letdown match for me, but that's not very many. I mean... Yeah, so, so I, I just think that, yeah. like, I, I agree with you that obviously those 10... I think that at her core, she still kind of has that, but I think that we do have to give credit to the fact that she has shown remarkable improvement, and so that maybe... And we don't know, but maybe in 2019, you know, she just holds the line that she held in 2018. Okay, I'm going to throw in two or three bad matches, but outside of that, like, I'm going to be the most, like, dead-on consistent player of the of, of, of the tour. I, that wouldn't surprise me if that, if that happens. But I think that health mm. has a lot to do with it. I think that what she did, especially in the first, like, three to four months of... Well, even the French Open. So first five months of, of the season was pretty phenomenal. And I think that it, it took its toll, for sure. One other fall person I want to talk about who also has an Australian coach who had a big fall is Wong Chung. Exactly. Who I feel like was the MVP in a lot of ways of the fall, or sort of the big headline player. My like biggest takeaway from the fall would probably be about her and just about being – the mo- she's one of the players I'm most curious to see in 2019, like what she can do to possibly continue this incredible run she had. And with the caveat that it was pretty much all in her home country, you know, that she is still, I think, pretty untested outside of China, even if she is very clearly a top 10 caliber, very world class, can be anybody player in China. So I'm just I'm curious. That's one of the things I was most curious about. And one of the things that I wish I'd seen more of in the fall was her and I'm just curious what you make of because we haven't really talked about her that much but what you make of her uh personality wise on court wise everything from what you saw from her this fall and just what she was able to do for people who might have might have missed it because I feel like this was one story that definitely caught people off guard you know not not there it happened while people were sleeping pretty much the Wang Shang rise yeah for sure I mean I think you're 100% right that Wang Shang was the MVP of the fall I mean, even if you throw in the Svitolina and like Wozniacki winning Beijing, Wang Shang was in a lot of ways the story. And there's multiple different reasons for that being. Like, first of all, she went 19 and four, even before Zhuhai of like uh, during that that uh, that China swing, like uh, what was it? Guangzhou, Wuhan, Beijing and And Hong Kong. Kong. Yeah. So that for that four tournament swing. Now, granted. Not unlike a Sloane Stevens before she had her breakout at the French Open, like this happened on home soil. Like Wang Shang showed an incredible ability to play well in China, um, and uh, and that's pretty. She chalks it up to like the food and just the vibes, and she's not joking about it. Like she has actually this very sophisticated descript- uh, um, explanation as to why the food. And being able to eat, eat in China like really matters to her, but mm. she's like she's incredibly interesting because she is one hundred. And I have a big feature about uh, that'll run on the WTA website uh, during December um, with her because I spoke to her about forty five minutes in China uh, after Zhuhai. But um, it, she is perfectly built for the next this young generation of Chinese fan, and also the Western fan. Like I, for example, like I asked her, like, is what is something that your fans would be surprised or any fan would be surprised to know about you? And she thought about it for like a long time, like for two minutes, just like dead silent, kind of looking at the translator, like talking like I'm not. And then she just finally said, like, 
I don't think there's anything that's surprising to my fans because I put everything on social media. Mm. Like her Weibo, like Wang Shang is a reason to sign up for Weibo. W-E-I-B-O, <laughs> it's it's China's Twitter. And just sign up, set up an account and follow Wang Shang. Like she really does put it all out there. Like photos of her chugging beers on the beach, photos, the videos of her, you know, in the, 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 lo- the not the locker room. the In the gym with Rafa and Roger. Yeah, with yeah. Rafa and Roger. Hilarious. But she puts it out there. She has a very strong personality. She is not shy in any way. She reminds me a lot in that way of Lena, like Lena of the rose tattoo on her chest. You know what I mean? Like Wang Shang is has similar rebellious streaks in her. And what the the most telling thing that she said to me, like so I asked her, um, you know, obviously, um, China has a lot of young talent and there's a lot of young women who are playing tennis now. But at what point did you feel like the Federation or whoever, like tennis was in China, started to zero in on you as being potentially the next big star in China. And she thought about it and she said, and it's it's very like, it's I'm quoting her. She said, everybody knew me by my face and they hoped that I would be good at tennis. Mm. So basically it's kind of like this, to understand Wang Shang is to understand, like, I don't, to put it in very, very crass, basic terms, she's the hot girl that, like, all of China was like, oh, we want to slap her on every single, you know, billboard that we possibly can. Like, she is beautiful. Yeah. Um, but whether or not she could be, she could actually produce the results, no one was ever sure. And I think that with her within the last, like, two years or so, and she's not young. I mean, she's 26. You know, she's not 20, 21, 22 years old. But I think that recently she started to finally believe that she was more than just a face, that she could she could play legit. And there's a swagger about her on court after she hits winners. She acts like no big deal. It's great. Mm -hmm. Like, I love it. Um, So she was I agree with you, an absolute not discovery, because obviously I think that she'd been on, on our radars, but she was probably on our radars in the same for the same reasons as she just said, like. She was really pretty and she made those 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 uh Stella dresses look awesome. And she beat Venus at the French Open and she had these yeah. these narrow almost upsets consistently in the first uh five or six months of the season. Yeah, but she was never going deep. I mean, she totally changed her her role. Yes. On tour. But the thing is is that like, yeah, and like the thing is about about her is that her, the tennis that she plays is awesome. It's so fun to watch. Like, if you get a chance, try and find one of her matches or highlights from her run in Wuhan, her run in Beijing, uh, her run one, in Zhuhai. It's one crazy. great point. I think from Tokyo. Oh, no, not Tokyo. Sorry. Hong Kong that she plays against Muguruza. Yes. It's like long rally that's just like really intense. And I, I'm sure it's on my Twitter. I think, if, yeah, if you search my Twitter for her name, it's it's not one of the few things I did tweet about her this fall. It's just how like. She's awesome. Like, we, I mean, great. she was like, she was hitting shots that had a screaming, like in the press room, just like, what? How is that possible? And, you know, so, so there's a lot to like with her game, which is great. But, but like I told her, like when, when I interviewed her in Zhuhai, you know, I told her, I was like, this is going to be your first kind of big English speaking feature. And you and mm-hmm. chances are you are going to have to do this more often. So you need to get used to this. And yeah. I was like, and I know that you speak better English than you're putting on. So, yeah. like, you know, um, 
So it'll be interesting. And she, she, she has an English-speaking coach. So, so, I mean, you know. She has an English-speaking coach. For those who are wondering, you can call Wang Shang Q. That's what everybody calls her on tour. That's what she insists okay. people call her is Q. Q. Which that's is kind of which is kind that. of awesome. It's like, you know, like James Bond, Q, like gadgets and stuff like that. Anyways. Okay. But yeah, that's what McNamara call, uh, calls her. But yeah, no, I mean, going into to the Australian Open, it'll be interesting. Again, interestingly, she's not on the entry list to Shenzhen, which I found hmm. to be stunning. Because I would think that if you're Wang Shang, you want to play every tournament in China. Um, oh, yeah. So that was a bit um, surprising. Um, but yeah, she's, I mean, she has that X factor that, you know, some of the, the, the other Chinese players maybe haven't had and she's fun to watch. And I think that her personality as her English gets better is really going to shine through because she is very charming in her own way. Um, so I'm, I'm just super curious as to what 2019 brings for Wang Shang. On to the dudes for the fall. Um, I almost want to play remember when Courtney like can you tell me what happened this fall Um, it was a fall I think big picture I mean you start with Svetlina for the women (laughs) so I mean the opposite I mean these two do everything together Uh, Zverev winning the men's year-end title following in Svetlina's archetype evermore for me it felt like it was being treated by the press like a big breakthrough and maybe it is but to me like Zverev's won three Masters titles, like against, and he did them beating the best players in the finals, pretty much. I mean, he beat Federer in Canada, he beat Djokovic in Rome previously. I guess he beat Team in the Madrid final, which is yeah. not, you know, a goat candidate, but it's still a solid win. Like he hadn't been vulturing things at all. I think I still think Zverev's great. I don't know that this win is transformative the way it's being presented as, um, but he's absolutely the the most sort of. I think the most pivotal player of 2019 on the men's side, how it's shaping up. Like, I think that w- can he or can't he is like the big question of men's tennis. And, and, and for the next two years, really, like, can Zverev take this obvious world class caliber talent? Yeah, but. Because he's the only real candidate outside of Hachanov who won Paris, who's also maybe more in the mix now. I don't know. You, you, you sort of, eh. So I'm curious what you, what you think of, of Zverev and. Is it because he's he's the guy? I mean, like the stats are there. I mean, in terms of how this other generation didn't show up, and Zverev's the leader of people who are younger than uh, Djokovic at this point. Yeah, but I, the reason why I went eh is because it's kind of a manufactured pressure or question. Because whether Zverev does it next year or whether Zverev does it the year after that doesn't really interest me because at the end of the day, I also know that Zverev will do it. Like, Zverev's going to win slams. There's no way that we're looking at this kid and being like, oh, that guy's never going to win a slam. So whether or not he does it next year or the ne- the year after that, given that, what is he, 22? He's 21. 21? I mean, So who yeah. cares if he does it next year or the year after that? Like, to me, honestly. Because at the end of the day, he will do it. I have zero doubt of that at all. At all. I, I, I still think it matters, though. Um, the comparison is going to make you frown. But, like, I do think the difference between winning your first slam at, like, 21 and you're sort of first in the mix. And he was probably in the mix fairly this year at 20 also because he was a top five player already. Winning it there and winning it, like, a couple years after that is kind of the difference career-wise between being, like, Novak Djokovic and Andy Murray. You How know, I, dare I, I, you? <laughs> I, I just think that, like, You mean the difference be between beloved 
and being Novak. Just kidding. Oh, we're going to get so much hate mail for that. But like, no, but I don't. I say we. You can send to Courtney's personal email addresses for that. Feel Thank free. You. Feel free. Ben didn't say it. I said it. No, but I mean, Andy had this lovable loser aspect to it. I mean, it may be if Sasha were to like not win a slam until he was like 27, 28 years old, he would be he would morph into a lovable loser. But that's not what he is right now. He is expected to win one. Whether next year. Murray Murray won his first at 25. I mean, Murray didn't wait that long. Oh, it felt like longer. It felt like a long time, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Murray had spent so much time being a loser. He was only 25. thought he was like 32. Um, no, he was 25. Yeah, no. That's so, what I'm saying. But that's my point, though. I mean, honestly, like, what are we talking about? We're talking about a guy. Like, we're putting pressure on this guy and calling this guy. And you know me. I am not a Zverev cheerleader at all. But Why we also that, can sit there, we also can sit there and be like, yo, this guy's freaking good at tennis. Like he's gonna get it done. Whether I'm or doing not that. I'm not I, yeah, I, I feel like I am saying he's freaking good at tennis. And I feel like it's only and, and this is part of the maybe overemphasis on the slams that people do now. Because he's very clearly shown that he's a great tennis player in the rankings, he's been number three. Like, he's great at tennis. But and so and to treat him with this still well, he hasn't done anything yet, thing is maybe unfair bullshit to him but it's just how the sport is sort of counted these days these days yeah and he's a these days player no i know i'm just saying that like i just i don't know i mean i i just feel like propping him up as like 2019 is a pivotal year for zverev or he's the most consequential it's like i don't think that he is like if 2019 rolls around yeah and like the big four win all four of the slams again and I'll even throw in Adelpo and Chilich into that. So like those six, like but older players, basically, if they go and win all the slams, add Stan too, sure. Sure, add Stan. Why not? But I don't think that like that really. I don't think that Zverev not being one of those four, or Team not being one of those four, or whatever, really has that much import. Oh, I completely disagree. I think that I think that based when I, when I said twenty nineteen is a will here, won't he? It's not like make or break. It's not It's not a now or never for Sasha. I'm definitely not saying that. But I think that if he doesn't do it, then it is status quo still. I think he's the person who finally can, like, gain the throne, who's not a big four. He can be the, the, the torch can be officially seized by him. And I think him only meaningfully in 2019 in terms of, like, winning, I mean, contending at multiple slams. I mean, it's possible depending on what happens with Rafa, the team maybe could win a French Open or something. But the only other person I see being ready to break through the big four is Zverev. And so if if he does do it, then it's been done. And if he doesn't do it, then it's nothing happens. And I think the set, my expectation, based on expectation for 2019, is for Novak to win two or three slams. Like he's just been so great at the end of this year that that's sort of nothing happens is Novak continuing to be dominant. Something happening to me is fair of interrupting that. Okay. Yeah, no, I see that argument. Fair enough. I mean, that the clarification, I mean, yeah, I guess you're right. I mean, if not him, I mean, if it's Chilich, it's not like Chilich changes anything if he wins the Australian open, right? Like it, it, it doesn't feel I think Chilich like... can change his own story. I, you know, I think Chilich can become like a three or four slam winner in his career and winning one next year would help that. And that would change his status and make him sort of a on a par with a Favrinka kind of career-wise. 
is not nothing. No, it's not nothing. I mean, but but you're saying in terms of like altering the landscape. Yeah, that's why think, you put significance all... on Sasha, as opposed yeah. to putting significance on a Chilich or a Kevin Anderson, Anderson. or yeah, yeah, like right, like because that doesn't change the landscape. It's just like a nice story. Even Isner, yeah, because he's like a top ten player. Right. I mean, these are these are players who wouldn't, you know, would could win and not signify something. In the same way that Zverev can. I mean, Zverev is sort of the, the, I haven't read Harry Potter recently, but you know, the chosen whatever guy. He's the, he's, you know, you know he's, the, he's the one who, the one who's, you know, the, the dude. <laughs> he's the dude. First of all, the dude is offended because the dude was never that. Um, oh, the but, dude, you meaning the dude. Yeah. The okay. dude, the dude, Lebowski. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah of course. Yeah, no, I I'm convinced by your argument that that he is the one that would he's the weather vane. Yeah, he's, he's the pivotal person. Yeah, he's the one that would you know so. Yeah, he would be the one that like kind of dictate not dictates but indicates where things are going. Yeah, one way or the other. That's that said on the other fall results part. I mean, Karen Hatanov, whose name is tough, is great and i think will be like a Adore. solid player for the rest of his career and is you know it, him becoming a thing i think it's very good for the sport i think that he has a really good game he's a very fast strong very very fast mobile guy for his size he's like a thicker dude than we usually see him especially compared to Zverev, um than we usually see in tennis and yeah i think uh highly of him and uh, yeah he definitely yeah him winning in paris that was a pretty pretty cool result yeah, and I mean, again, he's somebody who's, you know, there's still he's not part of the lost generation. He's more of a Zverev generation guy. For sure. And I and I think that that, that you know, genuine shout out to kind of that next generation of of ATP guys because I do think that there is like a very interesting like kind of group kind of coming together and congealing whether it's yeah. like Zverev, obviously Zverev and team and Khashanov are are kind of, you know, maybe the heads of the pack, but then you got like Medvedev and Rublev, you have Deminer, you know, the Sitsipas. young um, you know, obviously Nick is obviously in that mix. But that's like a really cool like group of like core people that you would expect to be the future top ten of the tour. Mm-hmm. Um and I wouldn't mind if those were the, the future top teners of the tour. Like that would be yeah. they're all so different in their own little ways and kind of quirky in their own ways. And some are jerks, some are angels, perceived to be. Um and yeah, I don't know. I kind of like it. I, I feel like 2018 kind of, I think Deminer was kind of the the last puzzle piece of that group just because he. Yeah, I agree. You know what I mean? Like they're, the way that he plays specifically, just like pure speed and, um, you know, he's late. A smaller guy. Yeah, he's late in junior. Tiny. Yeah, he's not tiny, yeah. but he's late in junior. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like I, 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 I feel like once Deminer became a thing that now I kind of get like that next gen a little because bit otherwise more. it was a whole lot of tall russians <laughs> i mean honestly there yeah, wasn't diversity yeah, per se yeah. in the group i mean it was Zverev, kachanov rublev Tsitsipas is not russian but his mom is was the number one player in the soviet union and speaks russian and similar sort of build i mean yeah there was kind of one sort of type of player the occasional one-handed backhand was in there but you know it's uh oh, i like Shapo. medvedev a lot too medvedev is a good um person to have in the mix he's a good he just strikes me as being such a heel in the mix. Yeah, it's a good villain. Yeah, very good villain. Even though he, I, I don't know much about his personality, but Encore, he's a good villain. 
Um, yeah, Chapo is a good one. Uh, Tiafo, I think people really want to have in this mix. Results haven't been as consistent as the other guys, but he's an interesting character to have in there too. So yeah, so there's a pretty Felix. good potential for this group. Felix, yeah, Felix is way younger, but he's still um, he's definitely sights on him. So yeah, I think I think then tennis is sort of in a bit of a. I think like the waiting room is pretty full and ready, and I think that sort of it's just up to somebody opening the door, or you know whether that's from the inside or the outside, whether it gets broken down by Zverev or Kachanov or whether it, you know, is somebody, the other's just retiring and just walking away and they're like, oh, the, the room was unlocked this whole time. Just go in. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. But I think that it's, uh, it's interesting. I'm trying to think if anything else happened in the fall. I mean, Djokovic finished year number one and just asserted himself as like best player of the year. That was not something we thought would For happen. sure. I mean, like, you know, no. compared, compared to where he was, when he was losing to French Open, French Open, but even before that, like when he when he lost at Indian Wells, Ugh. Indian Wells, when he lost to Taro Daniel, and then he came to Miami and lost his first match to Benoit Paire, and it wasn't surprising. Like that's the one that was sort of the most like even I mean, the Taro Daniel match was really bad, but when he was losing to Paire, and it was like, yeah, you know, we didn't really think that Djokovic was gonna be ready for this match against Paire. We thought he just wouldn't have what it took to beat Paire. Like, oof, where 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 are we, Novak? Um, but yeah, he's got it together and he can again run up a score. And I totally think he can win a second, uh, you know, no lay slam. I think it's totally in the cards. He can challenge in Paris again. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it... and, and, and Carol can write another book. <laughs> exactly. The quest continues. The quest, um... Well, I was always saying that she should write a book about his problems. That was called the quest. And then the sequel will be called the rest. <laughs> I, I i was always into that idea and it's trying to other oh other titles for carol i'll think about it keep you should think about it and just directly message her instead of giving them away for free um mm. but uh but yeah no i mean i don't think that anybody really saw the the joke uh coming um <laughs> even as as as, or as as late as june um i don't think it, he was a short list for you know wimbledon that's for that's for sure yeah. No, he worked his way through that tournament, yeah. Yeah, he really did. And, and I mean, all credit to him. And, and um, yeah, the dude is – I'm kind of, like, low-key – well, not low-key because once I put it on a podcast, it's kind of high-key, I suppose. But, like, I kind of want him to, like, go and catch all the records and just, like, throw all the GOAT conversation into complete disarray. That's been like his whole gig the... this whole time. Exactly. That's what that's the, his whole point, which is what I love, and that's what I loved about him back in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. Was like go it, go be the disruptor, go be the one that like takes the narrative and breaks it over your knee, and yeah. force people to come up with like, oh, you guys think that Roger and Rafa are all that great? Yeah, let's see what happens when Novak like even comes close to, or potentially eclipses some of those records because there's not who's who i mean honestly who's to stop him at this point yeah no nobody that's what i'm saying right i i roger had a low-key not good everything after february he got to number one by winning rotterdam and then well after early march i mean he made the right he made the final of indian wells but yeah after he lost that final i guess maybe that's the demarcation point he lost first round in Miami to Kokonakis and then didn't play again. That's I remember when that match. And then he, you know, played on grass and was I and then lost after being two sets in a match point up against Kevin Anderson. Not a match people expected him to lose for sure at that point. And then 
he goes and has this sort of messy U.S. swing where he, you know, gets goes down in a puddle against Millman, and it just wasn't good. Like Fetter, I think will have to. We'll have. I hate this. Yeah, I wish there was a better phrase. I don't. Fetter and Blair have something to prove in his life. It's idiotic to think that, but like he has. I don't think expectations will be high for him in Australia, or they shouldn't be. You know, for someone coming as defending champ, like he has a lot of work to do to reassert himself as being a contender for that title. Because I think that he's further off now than the rankings would suggest. Who then for you three. has a better chance of defending at the Australian Open? Ooh, well, that's a good question. R- Roger Caroline. Um, who won the doubles? I just want to pick them. <laughs> um, uh, uh, doubles was Kiki Babosh. Okay. Who are the number two doubles team. And I don't know who won the boys. Who won the mix, maybe? Um, no. Um, yeah, I, I'm i not sure. I, I think Caroline doesn't seem like the right pick. I mean, she did win Beijing at tournament, which I saw almost none of. So I feel very unqualified to comment on her run there. I definitely it was a, didn't it was a soft I saw none of I saw none of her matches in, in Beijing. It was a great win. Yeah. And especially in light of her subsequent announcement in Singapore yeah, that, that she had been sure. diagnosed uh, earlier this summer um, with rheumatoid arthritis. Her her It, it definitely put into context um, that win in Beijing, premier mandatory, wins it, you know, massive title. But it also remains to be said that it, it, it was a soft draw for her. Like she, not because of anything she did, but just like there were tons of upsets and withdrawals and things like that. She didn't necessarily have to go up. I think the highest ranked player that she did face was Sevastova in the final. Mm. Um, and that was when Sevastova was like maybe 18 or nine, 18 or 17 in the ranking. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I don't, I, but yeah, I don't know. I, so, I mean, I would be inclined then to pick Roger just because if Novak, I don't think Roger is in position. Okay, we're forecasting this way out, um, seven, eight weeks out. But like, I do think well, that's not good math. No, like, yeah, so, yeah, that's about right. Um, that Novak is, I think Roger's still a top three contender, even if a very distant third. Okay. Well, where's Caroline's no, not? No. No. Yeah, and then, well, I'm not. No, I'm not sure. I don't know. It's a good question. I, I, I will make it a <laughs> make it a poll. Like, who has a better chance? Of okay. Defending? I think that's a good question. And it's a fair um, question. Yeah, I, I, I'm not enthused about either's chances in Australia. Um, I, I, I'm happy for Caroline that she will get the chance to... I, I'm sure Caroline has been hype AF since you know, the day after winning about the idea that she has to be the one carrying the trophy in to that whole elaborate Australian Open draw ceremony thing they do every year. Like, she has to be ready for that. <laughs> you think she's excited about that? Oh, God, Yes. Really? Yeah, Caroline gets to be, you know, it's it's sort of like this like extra coronation thing that just feels so yeah, long baby. awaited in her career. Fair enough. And she gets to do it next to Roger. I mean, come on, it's a pretty good gig for her this year, I feel like. Fair enough. That draw ceremony, though, is the worst. That new version of they did this year with like, that indoor talk show Ooh. format. Ugh, bad. Not um, a fan. Not a fan. They're doing that again this year. Um, yeah. Speaking of Caroline... She had some wonderful tributes upon one of the bigger news items of this fall, which was the retirement of her good buddy, Agnieszka Rybanska, who retired at 29, former number two, a ninja to us all. Courtney, as the person who came up with the ninja nickname on 40 Deuce, 
which is really <laughs> i think you're probably your most lasting for you do nickname contribution or the one That's... that broke through the most one that was the most mainstream true what, Moose what, what, never what... caught on for Andy Murray, which I'm still bitter about, but that's fine. <laughs> keep trying, keep trying. Um, <laughs> what what do you what did you make of the news that Aga was retiring? Um, I was definitely not surprised or definitely not shocked, but because she de- had a rough struggle with injuries the last two years, but she did beat Simona Howell this year <laughs> at a premier mandatory in Miami. I mean, she was still playing serviceable enough ball, um, but she her stepping away at the same time I don't think is is a huge shock. Yeah, no, definitely wasn't a huge shock. Um, I've said this a, a bunch of times over the last like three years or so that, you know, no player complained about their body breaking down as early as Aga Radvanska. Like she was 25 and she was already like bringing up just like how just the wear and tear of the tour on her body about, you know, I mean, she was constantly taped up, constantly just trying to survive and and get through matches but you know it was definitely though like look i i think that there are going to be those players that will that will pick up that torch i mean this is a season that saw us not just lose agar advanska but also roberta vinci yeah. like you know variety and guile um took a hit um you know on the wta this year but you know you you do hope that the the kasakinas in the world, I think she's she's kind of the one that everybody's looking at to kind of uh, carry that torch. Will will keep that all alive, and but I'll you throw, know, I'll spending throw, the... I'll throw Skivoni in that mix too. Yeah, exactly. Precisely yeah. right. Precisely right. Yeah. So you know that that's tough, and um, but you know now having pro- about two weeks, I guess two three weeks to kind of like digest it all and figure everything out. I mean. I'm just going to miss her. I mean, it, it, I I don't know that there's been a player who I did the biggest 180 on as Redvanska. And I remember this being very clear in a Twitter exchange that I had with Matt Cronin back in like probably, I don't know, like 2008, 2009, mm. maybe so real early in August career. And I, but she was like obviously a top twenty player, and she was always in the mix and like pulling off upsets. I think on Twitter I was just like, dude, what the heck? Like she plays like a club player, and it's embarrassing. Like this is a bad look for women's tennis. Like I was like straight up just like, oh, you were that guy. Oh, I was a hater. I was like an Aga. Like what the fuck is this? Like <laughs> you know. Um, and I remember Cronin like writing back, and he was just like, you know, well then I would love to see the players that play at your club if you think that this is what a club player does. Mm. And I remember just feeling like a bit chastised at the time and like really being like, okay, I really got to, okay, you know, like I respect the hell out of Matt. So I was just like, okay, maybe there's something I'm not seeing. And over time, I think that I finally got it. And and it took a while. And, and you know, because I'm a power tennis kid. I love power tennis. I love a big forehand and a big serve. Um, but, uh, but just paying more and more and more attention to just the subtleties of what she does on a court and the anticipation and, and just being able to stand up there at a time when everybody hits the ball twice as hard as you do and still figuring out ways to win with your brain effectively. I mean, as a geek and a nerd, like she should be your favorite player. And over time, I mean, that definitely, she definitely evolved into that for me. Like I just, I loved watching her play and, 
you know, always rooted for her to kind of win, you know, things and, and wanted to see her do well because it spoke volumes about the women's game. And you wanted to, like, make sure that that style of tennis remained a viable way to play. Like, you wanted Absolutely. kids to look at it and be like, I'm going to play like Radvanska, you know? And she was the she was the tennis writer's WTA player. Like, I can't think of another player who has, at least in the last, like, 10 years inspired as much just kind of like flowery appreciation about the way that they play tennis as like aga yeah i mean people write about serena people write about maria in terms of their fighting ability and people write about like venus in terms of her you know uh uh, uh, poise and in her dignity and, and her grace and things like that but like i mean people were writing essays about an aga or advanska squat shot an Aga Rudvanska drop shot. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that was pretty darn cool. And so like in that way, I just, I, I, I just, I love her a lot. And I think we're, I'm going to miss her a lot. She absolutely. I totally agree with what you said. Like the, one of my favorite things about tennis is that there's so many possible right answers for how to play and so many different, you know, approaches and styles and tactics and stroke styles can work and can be rewarded. And hers was just such an interesting interpretation of a way to play tennis completely within the rules um and is allowed but it's unconventional and can be world class like they're the the player i think it's closest to her now is different it's sort of a maybe even more wild player is sue shea and (laughs) but but shea is not a top five player it's not a top two player it's not making it deep into slams over and over and over again and that radvanska was able to, and I hope Shay does do all those things, but I'll make that very clear. Um, <laughs> but that, and she was the number one doubles player and so on, but that Radvanska was able to be the best, to win Miami, to make a Wimbledon final, to win Singapore, all while being handed, you know, like the beginning of Battle Royale, where <laughs> yes. they're all leaving like that sort of like orientation for Battle Royale and like they're each handed their weapon. Like, as other players were getting like machine guns, they gave you know, Aga Radvanska, like, a spork. And she was like, I can roll with this. It's fine. <laughs> you know, and she did, and it was great. Spork and ninja. So, spork ninja, totally. <laughs> like, she can see, like, maybe maybe it was a throwing star or something in reality. But, like, she can, she could make, do big things with pretty limited physical, physicality. And she, she was, was like, MacGyver. incredible athlete. She was yeah, MacGyver she was totally on a MacGyver. Court. Totally. And she won... I did a story about her. I should pull. I should have pulled this up in her retirement. I should have double checked this stat. I did a story on her in Wimbledon 2017 when she was kind of trying to work back from an injury mid second week, and that was one of her. As it turned out, one of her later last last good runs at a slam. About how she, um, like her stats on winning shot of the month were insane. Yes, like she won shot of the month or shot of the year, like I don't some incredible number. So, like, considering that every player on tour is eligible for this, she won it, like, 40% of the time or something like that. Like, her and her her joy and the expression, the expressionisticness of her tennis and the joy brought people and the sort of wonder of tennis. That's one of the things I love most about tennis. It's not that it's this athletic contest of who can run and hit the best. It's still a skill sport. It's still a skill sport. It's still a a mental sport. It's still a tactical sport. And it's still a creative sport and it's still a chess, you know, kind of sport in a lot of ways. And she is was very chessy and, and that's uh, a great thing. And there is a lot of it in women's tennis still. 
Uh, you mentioned Kasakana, I think. You could probably throw, even it's much more avant-garde, but you could probably throw Nicolescu in that mix. You know, there's other players. Ons Jabor. Yeah, definitely. You, there are other players. Even a Danielle who, Collins. I mean, I feel like she hmm. has that DNA of just like, I'm just trying to win the point. I'm not trying to play tennis the way that you conceptualize tennis is supposed to be played. Like, I will hit the ball. And there, it's it's very tactical what Danielle tries to do. It may look funny sometimes because it's unorthodox. But but so much of, like, Radvanska was the, the, the reason why Aga could hit those crazy shots, that Miami behind the back flick, um, mm-hmm. you know, some of those backhand overheads, um, you know, all that is because her technique was flawed. Hmm. She was so incredibly wristy through her shots. And you're not supposed to be. You're supposed to be a little bit more. I mean, you you want the the bend, but once you snap through, you're supposed to be strong. But she was very wristy. And because of that, she could kind of maneuver the racket in a way that a lot of other players can't do. Like, so in terms of those last minute adjustments that she needed to make, and she, obviously she had great touch. Um, but, uh, but, you know, again, that goes towards what you were saying, Ben, about just kind of the beauty of tennis is that they're like... 20 different ways to peel the orange oh totally. yeah right so like and oftentimes and i think john and um mary were saying this on the si podcast this week um that that one of the beauties of it all is that there are so many different ways to win points that there isn't just one way and that you have to that's the the best thing about this sport. And so I think that Aga just kind of represented a lot of that. It was just like in this time when everybody was writing about power tennis, here was this like tiny little, yeah. you know, Polish girl who, who just understood the game better than you. And yeah, yeah, that didn't win her slams and that didn't, but you know, who knows what happens in that, that, what that Wimbledon final if Serena doesn't serve that one game with four aces. Like from there, it was done in the third set. But like, who knows what happens if she? I know what happens if she beats Lasicki in twenty thirteen. Yes. She yeah. wins that tournament for sure. She had a, she owned Bartoli. Yeah, and so yeah, she she had her chances. And I don't. And maybe going back to what I was saying about Zverev earlier, I would never, you know, thinking about Radvanska, Radvanska never will strike me as a player who I'm going to remember as being like, what about what she didn't do, and in a, in a way that's probably you know, more fair to her than I am to other players who maybe have that kind of legacy, which I think is maybe more applied to like a dementia. Um, mm. But Redvanska, so to you, Redvanska was an overachiever. Yeah. Or I think that she exceeded what you, what anyone reasonably could have expected her. Yeah. I guess it makes it overachieving for sure. I mean, like she, what given, like I said, like given what the arsenal she was working with, what she did was unbelievable. And when she was peaking, it was great. That match, one of the best matches I've ever seen was her Vika? dismantling Vika. Absolutely. <laughs> the, 20, the 2014 Australian Open, Vika was two-time defending champion. And Aga was just like, yeah, no. And just like, it's just like, like if you have her. not seen even the highlights of that match, like, please pull them up and watch them. Because that is, that was as close to like a Picasso of a match. Like what it was are... insane. What I remember about that match most, which is weird, is that Vika had a trainer or a physio or something with her this tournament who was really loud, like really loud. And the way that the player box was positioned compared to where our old media center was at the in Rod Laver Arena, which we've since moved out of at the Australian Open, that she you could hear the trainer like screaming for Vika, like 
constantly in every match Vika played. Like I could hear it at my desk. And by the third set, it just got quiet. <laughs> As Redvanska was just dominating her. No, it's true. It's my memory of that match. Like Redvanska, who it, and she and Vika had a, you know, a, 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 at times, uh, I'm just here for the handshake type relationship. That win just meant so much to her. And then obviously she completely flopped against Simil Kova in the next match. But, you know, it was it was a, a big moment for her and, and just seeing what she could do. Because Vika in Australia had seemed like one of those sort of unsolvable problems for how well she played that tournament, how great a hardcore player she was at that point in her career. And and that Aga was the one to sort of unseat her, I thought was pretty poetic. I will say this, one of the most underrated talents of Agnieszka Radvinska was her willingness. And sometimes it backfired, but honestly, I always respected the impulse, which was she took her shots. If yeah. something was wrong... If something she disagreed with, she let you know. Like, Aga did not swallow her tongue when she felt wronged. And we remember that from the Australian Open with Cherpova. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't she back in Poland already? Um, but, but Aga took her shot, and she called Maria out. And I was like, okay, good on you. Like, you know, I respect that. And same thing, her relationship with Vika kind of... Not deteriorated, but it definitely got icy towards the end. Or they, in they, the middle, anyway. At least in that. Yeah, in I mean, that they period, had been yeah. they had been pretty good friends. I think they were part of that whole that whole group. Or at least they know? were both they both had Wozniacki's a mutual friend. Exactly, but what was it? That one match in Doha, I think that Aga took great exception to Vika either calling a trainer or something. I can't remember what it was. Oh, it's that whole like that whole yeah like some like gamesy medical timeout or something like yeah, that. Yeah, some sort injury, of gamesmanship. And then and then Vika said or then Aga said that um I don't think it was a very good display of women's tennis. And then <laughs> Vika comes yes. back in Indy Wells and destroys her like six oh six one or something and said, I think it was a pretty good display of women's tennis today. Yes. Was, yeah. No savage. Was, was Love fa- it. Fairly fairly like I said, times. Like I said, it backfired sometimes, but she took her shots. And I, I, I just I respected that. Like, you know what I, I mean? Like, I wear Aga on my T-shirt with the, the NCR shirt, the handshake exactly. shirt. Like, because of that sort of attitude of being like, I will, f- like, again, I will be poker-faced, but I will fight, and I will, like, be savage, and, you know, here's what I think of you in the process that she could have. And she wasn't, it would never call Aga, like, a nasty, mean person at all. I mean, she was one of the sweetest people to deal with, of course. A hundred percent, And just yeah. had, had, the, had the, one of the most, like, delightful sort of smiles and laughs where she would get all sort of squinty and you know i'm sure you've seen she was a, like an open mouth laugher yeah she, like was, she literally was... only lulled like yeah. she never giggled she only lulled <laughs> yeah <laughs> um yeah so she, she was a lot of fun to be around a lot of pleasure to cover because she's someone who was yeah was very much there um and she was a in, pro with our years yeah this is something that like i just feel more and more and more inclined to stress in these recent years um and part of that is because of like the the shift in in focus and emphasis on slams if you don't win a slam you're nothing and what's the point of you and etc cetera, etc cetera, which i really 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 don't like but i i i do salute the pros the people who go in they, they punch their clock they try every single match and they go at it and and aga i think is like what sixth total prize money career right yeah um you know and you don't get that way and she never won a slam she only made one slam final but you don't get there unless you are winning and she did that at at 29 it occurred the end of 29 like wasn't like she just hung around collecting checks for 
a long time. To get right. There. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No, it wasn't like she. Yeah, exactly. So I just I have just tremendous respect for that. And, and she I never saw Aga Rivanska ever like throw in the towel. I never saw her like just like walk away and, be, and, and, be, and throw in even a bad match. She might get like, you know, picked apart. So Aga's number seven career prize money, 27.6 okay. million right behind yeah. Simona. Not bad work. Yeah. But like she's ahead of Petra, for example. She's ahead of Kerber. Mm. Mm, yeah wow. you know like i mean after that it's a bit of a drop-off because you start talking about inflation and because hingis is at 10 yeah you know and things like that but for her to be ahead of petra and kerber everybody else ahead of her is one slams you mentioned you mentioned kerber you sorry, you mentioned hingis and hingis is i think ravonska was i think probably fairly call it the next hingis and that's pretty reasonable yeah she was her idol um, yeah for sure and i think that one of the things I said about Radvanska and sort of when I, my reaction to the news is like, I think we will be incredibly lucky in tennis when there's like a young player who deserves the mantle of being like the next Radvanska. Like yes. this was something pretty special that she did. And I think she had a ton and ton of respect from other players in the locker room, what she could do and how she went about her business. And I think it's, it's all great. One other sort of Red remember when it's coming to my mind is remember when Aga Radvanska was in that, press conference at the fed cup zonal in yes israel, israel. <laughs> <laughs> no more to say if you find that on youtube just being like oh today was perfect or whatever it's, she says and then it, yeah. it's it's it's, it's not a iconic. long watch it's not <laughs> no. a long video but i highly recommend you pulling it up and the other thing i will say about agar Vanska, she retires at the end of 2018 having gone two and oh against wta supervisors Twice this year, this season, she got into a tiff where she actually called out the tournament yeah. supervisor, and she won. Agarevanka JD. Yeah. Exactly. Mind you, you don't even win one. How many arguments has Caroline gotten into? She didn't <laughs> win one. But like, Talk about Aga, your voters, my Aga's won, <laughs> Aga won two this season. And when I jokingly would ask her about it, she didn't even, like, wouldn't even respond. Like, she was just like, whatever. Like, I was, like, she was so pissed off. And... Aga when she <laughs> Aga when she gets emotional or Aga when she's angry, she's like an angry crier. Like she'll she'll tear up. Mm. But she's not tearing up necessarily because of sadness. She's tearing up out of anger. <laughs> so she's one of those. But yeah, like both times that it happened, I think it was the French Open and maybe Australian Open, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, I kind of tried to like jokingly make light of it and she was not having it because she was a badass. She was. She was. She was bad, badaska. Yeah. No. She's. Uh, yeah. She will be missed, and I hope she. I hope she hangs around. I would love to see her be a coach at some point when there's like a right player. I'd love to see. I'd love to see like the Red Vons get imprint on some future generation person. Wouldn't that be awesome? By the by, I'm looking at the career prize money leaders list. Okay. Radvanska is the only player in the top fifteen top 16 if you want to go that way that hasn't won a slam yeah i was gonna say she had to be pretty high up there for that hmm. no yeah. it, it's it's so, it's 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 a pity that she didn't get it again in this era of slams being these massive coronation moments and massive confirmations and massive you know legitimizations of people i like i wish she'd had that moment i yeah. wish that there was a moment where that tennis 
reigned supreme. And again, she did win Miami. Like she won a huge tournament. She beat Sharapova in that final. She did. She won mandatory. She won Beijing. Yeah. She, she won was, Miami. She I won mean, Singapore. Like, she won. She won a yeah. lot of stuff. She beats. Well, she beats Serena, I guess, only at Hoffman Cup. Oh, that was a wild match. That Pol- that <laughs> Poland U.S. Hoffman Cup. That was that was some scenes. That was some scene with Janovitz. If you carry Janovitz to a title, like, come on, Hall of Fame ballot. <laughs> well, that's a good question. Agnieszka Radwanska, Hall of Fame? Based on current criteria, absolutely not. However, like, I wish that there was... I wish that she... I, I wish. I wish. Wishfully, yes. Realistically, no. But I, 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 I would... If she was on a ballot that was presented to me, I would have a very hard time voting no on her. Like, very very hard time because she is just because she's been special i feel like and and the thing with hall of fame for me is hall of fame should be people who made an impact yes like sort of who did something that will be remembered worth remembering about being memorable and she checks that box for me so clearly compared to other players even her generation who've won a slam or two like she will be remembered and should be remembered and should be celebrated and yeah, I mean, I, I just feel like she's going to be one of those players that, like, years down the road, like, when new tennis fans come up, come up, you know, and sprout up like daisies, you're like, do you do you know about Agnieszka Radwańska? Oh, there's going like, to be some player who, like, hits a squash up and be like, no one's ever done this before. And you're like, <laughs> sit down, kid. You're like, bitch, please, no. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to YouTube. <laughs> Roll the tape. <laughs> no, seriously. You know, like, it just... I mean, her run in Singapore was incredible. That went over Petra, that went over Muguruza, some of the shot making that was going on. It was, yeah, I mean, it was, she was a player. Yeah, she was very cool. So, Aga, don't be a stranger. Come in and see her if you want. Oh, the other thing that occasionally mentioned her anger, if you ever got to see one, the Aga racket smashes were outstanding. Yes. They were, they were absolute unicorns, but they were outstanding. They were so good. Remember one she did in Miami. Remember one she did in Miami. Also, we haven't even mentioned Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> <laughs> Your tweet about Cheesecake Factory was so true. What like an she, icon! She is the only athlete who ever got a Cheesecake Factory endorsement. Like, ha- like, amazing, amazing. We 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 stand a legend. Um, we stand a legend. Yeah. So pour out a cheesecake for her. Um, just imagine it kind of crashing amusingly in the street. The plop. And, you know what's uh, a weird? You know what's a weird thing to think about though. Like, because we were just talking about Hall of Fame criteria. Who There's is not the... a Chica Factory in Newport? No. Okay. No, but like, Sorry. who, who, who is the better uh, Hall of Fame candidate? Aga, JJ, mm-hmm. or Denara? Great question. I feel like it has to be a really tough one. Of those right? three, I, I feel like Aga. it's Aga, and that's like where. The Hall of Fame thing gets really, really complicated. What about Aga versus Feta? See, that's the person I was thinking of when I was thinking about like current players. See, she's not better on a thin paper. Who I would pick her over? Um, if I had the power to pick only one, I would pick Aga. I would. I mean, I yeah. I, I we've talked on the show about. I think Sveta's Hall of Fame credentials are pretty bad, but um, yeah, I I think that I think I think she I think she will. It's had an outsized contribution to considering what she is on paper. I think you just, I think she can't be, and I think the Hall of Fame type debates are becoming more and more about on paper and trying to really quantify things. And I think she defies that. I think she really is absolutely um, an artist more than a, um, I don't know what the other 
opposite of that is like more than a being a tactician a player or, like or you know just, what i mean even, like, even just somebody who just like accumulated things you know like she would just sort of did it more for the she gets a lot of style points a lot true, of style points true, you know yeah. she, she didn't necessarily go for the most difficult and like figure skating terms she didn't go for the most difficult jumps although she was flashy but she did things in this incredibly poetic way that's very uh appealing and should I've... and should and should be winning even if tennis has no stop point it's in its scoring system. Yeah, no, I mean, I I liked, um, I don't know if you read the essay that Martina Navratilova did on AGA. It was on the WTA website. Mm-mm, mm-mm, no. But it was it was nice the way that she phrased it, which is that, like, when AGA was in practice, she was, like, super just drilled. Nothing special was happening. Everything looked casual. It was only when she had to be, like, in matches, under duress, having to improvise a shot that all that magic came out. Like she never practiced any of that shit. Um, and so that it was a really nice turn of phrase from Martina that like when she had to be, she was the most creative player on tour, but that actually that wasn't who she was. Like she didn't, because in practice, that's not what she was doing. You know, like you go, what's like, if you go watch like Ons or if you watch uh, Dasha practice, they're pulling all that shit all the time. Like they love hitting those trick shots, you know? And Aga was never doing any of that. It was just out of reaction and out of out of necessity. And I think that in a lot of ways that that spoke a, that spoke a lot to kind of her competitive drive um, and stuff like that. But yeah, no, it, it's an interesting one. I mean, where do you rank Aga in the um, best player to never win a Slam sweepstakes? Is she um, is she behind yeah, Dementieva? Yeah, I think so. Okay, because I feel I like Dementieva is like number one in that list. No, I, or I am I wrong? She, I still think she I is. Think so. I think I think yeah. I think Dementieva is number one, and I think because again, I think that fits to me with the overachieving thing. Like I think that Aga was just it's it's so impressive what she did do. Like I just can't I can't bring myself to dwell on what she couldn't do. And there were times yeah. when her when her limits were very much exposed. She took some bad L's deep in big oh, tournaments. Sure. You yeah. know, I mean, like I mentioned that that as Renka blow out in New Wells and she also got creamed by Serena a few times deep in slams like those she was vulnerable to that but it uh, when it did happen when those latches did happen it almost made you appreciate what she could do more like see like how exposed she could be against a player like Serena made you realize that like her winning her maintain her you know being better than all but three players in the world or whatever her ranking was at any given time yeah it's just that amazing because she was bringing like a toothpick to a gunfight. Yeah. yeah, yeah, fair, totally fair. So that's Aga, yay Aga. Um, <laughs> I can't think of any good transition here. On to less positive sentiments. <laughs> <laughs> Justin Gimbelstab, who is a member of the ATP board and a uh, former player, former mixed doubles champion, two slams, I think, Venus. Um, he won early in his career, early in both their careers was arrested on a, a battery felony battery charges in LA on for an incident that happened on Halloween when he was dressed in a top gun costume apparently um and beat up a guy uh and then i guess it's from behind right isn't battery the one that's from behind you're the lawyer uh it yeah. doesn't matter if it's from behind or the front oh i thought that was like one of the definitions no i thought like assault had to be from the front or there was some weird thing anyway regardless he is arrested for a felony, violent felony charge, and there have been all sorts of 
questions. There was a bunch of reporting that came out a couple of days ago from Simon Briggs um, about other details of other past incidents involving Gimel Sub and other past aggressiveness or violent behavior uh, from various witnesses and various other court filings. And there's been a lot of sort of um, what I think is the most interesting about it is this sort of meta reaction from a lot of tennis fans being like, why isn't this a bigger deal? And I sort of, I balk at that a bit, that impression, because I do think it's impossible to minimize a violent felony arrest. Like I kind of think, or I, I think it kind of speaks for itself. And I think that there will be a process of consequences, which I'm sure is already beginning for him um, and should continue to a conclusion. But I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm just curious what, and this is not a very well lobbed ball for you to handle here. I don't think Courtney, sorry, but like, what do you, what do you make of this news and, and what should people, how should people react to it? And what should be the, what, what, how does it reflect on the community with the reaction, the tennis world, what the reaction or possible silence or lack thereof has been? Hmm. Um, I mean, obviously, I mean, I'll just say it straight up. I mean, like, obviously I'm an employee of the WTA, mm-hmm. which is a federation. Um, and insofar as that is the case, like, I don't speak for the tour. I don't like yep. on this podcast at all, at all. And in a lot of ways, I have to personally balance what I can say publicly with what I might think privately. And Lord knows I get in trouble a lot um, for what I, I weigh in on and, and things like that. And on this one, I've I've pretty much chosen not to. Uh, to weigh in on it. Um, I think that I've just, you know, kind of retweeted the news because it is news. I mean, there's no way around that. Um, And because of his prominence, uh, because of his um, influence within the sport um, and his positions of power, I think that obviously, and obviously the, the, the gravity of what he's been arrested for and accused of in the past and things like that, like, I think that it's absolutely something that should be discussed. Whether or not I am a part of that discussion, that is a separate question. So there is that. I mean, I think that part of it is also, I think that the observation that there has been, for the most part, pretty, I mean, deafening silence. For the most part. I mean, obviously, there are those of us who are trying to bring light to it as best we can, and we can retweet it, we can report on it, we can whatever. But I do think that, like, obviously, you know, when you have people in the sport who who weigh in on, on different things all the time. And then this goes kind of dead silent. Um, I think that obviously as Ben and I have always said, like silence also speaks volumes, like read into it the can, silence. People. It can, it can, it yeah. can, it can. And I think in this instance, probably it has. And I, I think that that is probably um, a reflection as to how influential I guess is the way I'd, I'd put it that Justin is in the sport, the positions that he holds. Um, and you know, people not wanting, you know, conflicts of interest, obviously getting in there, um, as well. And so it makes it complicated for a lot of people. I think it also complicates the fact that this did break over Thanksgiving weekend and yeah, it broke on Thanksgiving day. Thanksgiving yeah. Morning. And to be yeah. quite honest, I, if I'm in the process of getting drunk with my family eating Turkey, the <laughs> last thing that I'm going to do. And really honestly, the last thing I'm going to give a shit about is this like on that day and on that over the weekend, like I am, you know, on tennis, 360 days, 330 days out of the year. I'm going to take a few days to myself and I don't feel like I should be compelled or 
demanded to like weigh in on something that it's not even my my space to weigh in on this yeah you know um go ahead. speaking speaking personally for me like i like when i saw the news on thanksgiving morning i tweet retweeted or tweeted the link in sort of the headline from the la times report which was the first one i think that got it um and so i was i definitely did not feel like i was trying to hide it in any way um but in terms of like in terms of having takes like i you know i'm not sure what else there is to say that him being arrested for a felony battery charge is not sort of safe for itself like i don't need to i feel odd that people seem to want me or other people to have takes on this like yes violence is bad punching people is bad you know, these are these are sort of universal truths, I think. And maybe people do want those things affirmed. But um, I don't know. And, and, and even not, and I think I'm not, I don't want to be part of the story. I don't think I am part of the story at all. But when people are, I think it's just interesting for reflection on just culture and everything and the sort of awareness and whatever in 2018, that there's sort of this expectation that everyone must weigh in on this. You know, when this is an event that happened away from tennis, between one tennis person and a not tennis person um, that everyone must suddenly stand and condemn. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they should. I just think it's an interesting sort of thing when you're, a lot of people have been, um, I don't know what the word is, complaining to uh, the ones I've seen most of or to Martina Navratilova in particular, that as a tennis channel employee, as is Gimelstab, that she has an obligation to denounce this. And, okay I, I i sort of understand where that comes from but at the same time she's not a person who hired gimel stop but she's not a person who can fire gimel stop and i just think it's sort of not her fight i don't think it's her i don't think it's naturally her imperative to have a stance on this maybe people would like it but it, it would it takes a lot of i think people on the outside of the sport um don't always appreciate and this is maybe something that should be not appreciated but the sort of you know the lack of uh, reward there is for doing that, crassly. Like, Martina, by calling for Justin to be fired in this hypothetical, doesn't gain anything from that at all. And it could cost her, you know, um, relationships in the sport that she relies on for employment. And I'm not, I don't think that's what is necessarily happening. I'm not, I can't speak for her because she's not spoken on it, but. I, I think for other people, yeah, there's just, it's not, I don't know. It's in this whole sort of era of different social movements and speaking up being the thing to do and whistleblowing and standing there for what's right. I get that. But I also think people should sort of understand the calculations that have to go into it for people. And it's not, it's, it's easy to be someone outside the sport and decry things and call for someone's head. And it's much tougher when it's someone who shares an office with you, who you, May like, may not like, but they are sort of still sort of part of your world and part of your ecosystem, part of your daily life in a much more direct, personal way. And so I think people, I have no problem with people putting pressure on ATP, on Tennis Channel to have consequences for him, but the actual individual commentators and stuff, I, I'm, I'm not as sure. And if someone is pretending it's not happening or denies that it happened or underplays what happened, then yes, you can do that if someone says ah oh, you know we all punch people 50 times like no we, we we don't we can we can speak out against that that's that was bad but uh otherwise yeah i think there is some sort of um that makes yeah. sense I, I don't know if i have a conclusion here but i i, I do think that like there's 
I don't think that antagonizing other people is really the right, other individuals, I mean, not organizations. I don't think that's necessarily the right way to channel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I can only speak from personal experience and I, I will say that, um, you know, the last two years, obviously with, with, especially with like the me too movement with, um, times up, like all, you know, kind of just the obvious awareness and gen uh, an understanding of kind of like what happens when there's a culture of silence, um, that obviously I'm, I'm far more aware of it, um, intellectually of like this need to denounce terrible crap that you see all the time all the time 24 7 because otherwise you're enabling and if you're enabling then you're just as much as part of the problem and you're basically a, the abuser like that's I get that. right like that's 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 the current um paradigm that i think people are in i think that like in the past for example like if there was a person that i found to be look i don't like you I don't like, and I, and also I don't have to deal with you and like, whatever. And yes, I've heard things you've never been, I've never interacted though with you. So nothing's ever personal, but I've definitely heard things firsthand from people that have like been at the other end of, of, you know, terrible behavior. My initial response or like my kind of like, I don't know if it's a cowardly thing or not, but it's just kind of like, I'm not dealing with you. I will distance myself from you. I will not speak to you. I will not deal with you. And like, we may work in the same space, but I am not associated with you, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that like, again, up until about two years ago, like, I think that for a lot of us, we thought that that was sufficient of a reaction. Like I, when I think back to like, my time when I was a lawyer or like when I was like, whatever, like whatever college, whatever, like somebody is a dick. You just kind of, you don't run around telling everybody that guy's a dick. You basically say, well, I'm just not dealing with you. Like, right. And, and so it's kind of, and so I think that in a lot of ways, like, I think a lot of people are kind of de are still grappling with and kind of trying to maybe, under uh, not understand but but figure out how to apply this new paradigm which is that it's our responsibility to say something all the time with how that actually in like works in real life like twitter is one thing right like it's one thing for all of us to condemn complete strangers right like which is what we do all the time like i don't know i don't know donald trump for shit but i can sit there and call him like a bunch of names if i want to on twitter and say that everything that he's doing is is crap. Obviously, that becomes a much more difficult thing the the closer that 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 um, circle becomes to you. And people people do it for much smaller things than Donald Trump. I mean, people do right. it for yes for things. And there's always sort of these sort of flashpoint moments in culture. You know, this you know woman, the one that just popped up happened yesterday, is this woman who named her daughter Absida you know, A, B, C, D, E, yes. if you heard this story. And, like, people will, like, be, like, people, people, it's so stupid, but people will, like, either just, like, immediately start blasting her or blasting the airline and just, like, have to come up with some big, hard-swinging take. And, like, you don't know anyone involved in this story. Like, you don't have to have a take. Like, or you're, 
opinion is very cheap and does and may have you know may inflict some sort of damage or whatever i don't know i'm not trying to be moralistic about it necessarily but it's it's so easy it's so easy to weigh in on things that don't have consequence to you um and i'm not saying that i i don't think that i'm being in anything i've said i don't think i'm being particularly sympathetic or soft on on Gimelstab, and maybe other people are i do think again that he was and I do think there's a difference between some of the Me Too, I mean, Weinstein type stuff, because this news came out after there was an arrest. You know, the main assault part or the main battery charge was the news was that he was arrested. And so it wasn't if there was this like, you know, this isn't a whisper down. network sort right. of thing. This wasn't this was and, you know, there wasn't a beatdown that happened in the Tennis Channel green room that nobody reported. Like, you know, this was a, a thing that the police got onto pretty quickly and that was dealt with. And he is now facing charges and the criminal justice system has this that said in terms of other things i had not heard any of the previous other incidents before i'd never heard the domestic violence stuff i don't think i can't remember ever hearing that i don't definitely did not hear this whole story about him being uh nasty and homophobic and threatening at a paddle tennis tournament which is just an absurd scene um i don't know how i would have heard that i didn't know anybody there nobody told me about that and as i learned those things obviously i process them and, and come to judgments and have certainly opinions that if these things are true and are um and it's you know it would reflect somebody who should probably not be a voice of the sport on tv or for the atp or not probably definitely should not be um and and that's a that's a verdict but i also think that this sort of knee jerk to that everyone must immediately cast a vote or must grab a torch is sort of not yeah i i just think i think the temperature can be lower than that and yeah done the right way yeah and i think that you make a good point which is that you know Again, so much of it is about the stakes. You know, it, it's one thing to make a big deal out of something small, out of, out of I don't know, Nick Curios subtweet, or not subtweeting, like uh, cyberbullying Stefano Tsitsipas. Yeah. Right? Like, that. that's one thing. Um, and to, like, bring it, you know, because on some level it's kind of funny. It, it's, we can all acknowledge that, 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 that these are not apples to apples incidents. Yeah, no, absolutely not. that one one is kind of like a soft incident. One is actually one where the criminal justice system is on it yeah. um, and how things shake out there will then dictate. Right. So if, if everything that comes out then says, oh, you know, he did all these things or that the verdict comes in or et cetera, et cetera. And then when that happens, certain things don't change, like tennis doesn't respond accordingly. That is more of an issue. Or, you know, like, like that to me is like when you would weigh in. Yeah. As opposed to like now when it's like, look, this is one side of the story. We don't know both. We know that there's a three people corroborating X story, but I don't know. Like, you know, like, so mm. it's, I don't know. It, it's, it's not, I will say that the general silence is, in my opinion, on the whole a little bit disappointing but it's not surprising and at this end like even though i say it's disappointing i also wouldn't ask that other people be put in that situation because again that's just like this dude messes up and it's like now we're blaming another person for that person's for not responding like it's a weird blame shifting not blame shifting it's sort of like we have spare bullets in our chamber who else we go after with right like it, it's like unnecessary yeah. collateral damage I guess. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's I like, that's, I she, right. like they're a bystander. Like they are not the wrongdoer. 
I don't know. But but I, I mean, I understand the frustration, like the, the, the fan frustration and things like that. And like I keep telling people, like if you're frustrated, you know who you should be telling your frustrations to. Um, yeah. And it should be the people that have actually control over what happens next. Yeah. No, as, um, as the reporting says, like there are, you know, the ATP player council can vote to strip him of his player representative powers. And you can find out who those 10 <laughs> representatives are and contact your local representative to, you know, to say, hey, I'm, I forget who's on the council now. Hey, Robin Hassa, you know, you better vote out Gimelstab or whoever is on the council right now. I think Hassa's on there. Um, you know, things like that. Like if you want to petition people, petition the right people. Leighton yeah, Hewitt, he, go go be the minority whip, man. <laughs> you clearly yeah, Leighton Hewitt, and this is an interesting, interesting sort of just inside baseball type thing, but like Leighton Hewitt was the only sort of tennis figure to vocally be like, this man must be dealt with. And it's not a coincidence that his, you know, good buddy and former coach, right? Former coach, Roger Rashid? Um, I think so. Yeah, was previously just ousted from the tennis channel, or sorry, from, from the ATP board right before this. And, and probably, replaced uh, by? Replaced by another tennis channel person, David Eggdiz. And this is not, you know, I can't imagine it's a coincidence that Gimelstab possibly was, you know, involved in or perceived to be involved in an ouster of Leighton's friend and Leighton is anti-Gimelstab. Like, that's very clear. And so that he has as some sort of, you know, stake or investment in this outcome that neutral people don't. And, you know, and on the other silent side of thing, like I said, I haven't written an article about it. I asked my editor if... I could, or if she wanted me to, and I was told it was already assigned to another reporter. So I imagine, I hope there'll be some article coming on that soon. Um, I feel like I'm being overly defensive about this. Maybe I should, maybe I'm trying to be, maybe I'm not trying to be, but I don't know. Moral story, don't punch people and probably don't dress up in a Top Gun costume. Just like, uh, not, I just want to know if how, he was how well is that not, How well is that night going to end? Was he allegedly Maverick or Goose? Well, or was he Iceman? Or Hollywood. Maybe he was Hollywood. <laughs> All I want is to be anybody mm. from the volleyball scene. That's what I want the twist to be. <laughs> <laughs> Not even walking around in like actual aviator gear, but just beach nope. shorts. <laughs> just shorts be like, you know what this is. You got you got the reference. Beach shorts and dog tags. <laughs> yeah. It's a good costume. It's a really good costume, actually. <laughs> uh yeah, so yeah, I'm not even sure what kind of, you know, NCR type discussion or enlightenment there is to have on this topic, but we didn't want to perpetuate the silence and not talk about Gimelstab. So there was your, there was your Gimelstab basis felony charges update, which <laughs> may or may not be a recurring feature. Hopefully not for him. So that does it for us on this year end wrap show for NCR looking back at everything that happened in the past few months we will be back soon with a remember when episode remembering all sorts of things throughout the entire 2018 season some big things mostly some little things some sort of the, the silly fun things that make the year what it was uh, memorable moments if you have any of those send them to us on email no challenges remaining at gmail.com or on twitter we're on twitter at ncr underscore tennis we're also on facebook facebook.com slash ncr podcast and we'll have a link up to this show page where you can put some remember when nominations in and we would appreciate seeing those because your remembrances are just as much a part of what happened this year as ours and different people will have different things that stuck with them uh in the meantime courtney we have been not doing the show for a long time and for a few months i'm hoping you have lots of pent-up feelings about something for a rant rave might you 
So many feelings. No, of course. No, I got tons. You don't have to use them all now, but a couple would be good. <laughs> thank you for the for, thank you for the warning. Um, yeah, no, edit. I mean it's it's we're just about to head into holiday season, and so I thought because I've been getting hit up by a variety of different types of people over the last week and a half about board game recommendations. <laughs> any any Grand Slam champions in the mix this time? Yes, once again, oh Grand Slam champions are curious, which when doesn't will even she make just sense. Learn for herself. I mean, I sent a very, very, very comprehensive list last year. I was told that those games were ordered, and yet I get another request. And it's like, dude, if you ordered those games, you should be good, but okay, maybe, whatever. I mean, as a Grand Slam champion, this player has a lot of money, and maybe she just <laughs> bought all of them. It's. I'm, pr I'm pretty sure she did, as she told me that there was a box waiting outside her gate from Amazon.com when we were in Australia. So... Hmm. Anyways, uh, but yeah, so I thought I just would run through um, just very quickly some games that I would recommend that if you're looking to buy a board game, which I love board games and, and Ben knows this. And the reason why is obviously I love video games as well and like iPad games and all that. And I, I travel with a Switch and when I'm at home, I play a PS4 and whatever. But what I really, really, really love about board games is just the tactile nature of it. And I, I really love just how it feels. And there's just kind of this meditative quality to kind of just moving your pieces around. And I generally tend to play board games by myself because I'm a loner and that's what I prefer. Mm -hmm. But also because I'm hyper competitive and to the point where pretty much after high school, I stopped playing things competitively because it was very destructive. Mm. So I just will, I will play by myself. I will play chess by myself. I will play, like I will, any game, I'll figure out a way to play it by my on my own. So I really don't like playing with other people. But board games, you can do that as well. And so there have definitely been games that I've tried and brought out with people and have gotten pretty good reviews on. So those I will also recommend. So I'm just gonna reel off and I'm literally just staring at my wall which is like, oh my gosh, um, that photo you tweeted today with so many games. Is a lot side of note, games. side I note, hold on, pause. I, well, even I'll, I won't pause this. So, this guy, this opponent, I'm watching the Asia wildcard just took off his pants on court, did an on court, what? did an on court changeover shorts change. I just, you know, you what's his name, Andy Murray? You don't see that, you just don't see that. Do you remember that? Indian Wells, Andy Murray playing doubles with Jamie Murray gets to the court, it's out on like court like five or whatever. It turns out, and Mohammed like looks at him, and he's like, "You got your shorts on backwards." So Andy yanks down his shorts and puts them on right side front. They're both at the net. This is for the coin toss. Highlight of my tennis career. <laughs> I I know that's true. Um, yeah. Uh, no, I I didn't see that. But this was, this was it was seated. You know, it was nothing vulgar. It's just like, suddenly like, oh, the pants are coming off. Okay. Yeah. Burned in my memory. Um. Yeah. No. So yes, I did tweet. I have like over two hundred and fifty board games. Good grief. Yeah, That's it's a happened. That's a lot. It's a lot. And it's a lot to like, you know, have to commit to because it takes a lot of energy to play these things. But, but you also um, buy but yeah. ones that are like intentionally solo games, right? Correct. Yes. And those I will I will try to take with me on the road uh -huh. to the extent that they can be small and packable. Um, and I'll play them in my hotel room. But um, but uh, but yeah, I, I, I like playing games by myself. I just like I mean. There's a part of me that just likes, I was explaining this to my dad the other day, I just like figuring out how these games work mechanically. Like, it's almost kind of like debunking a code, right? Like, so if a, if a game is kind of based on a lot of like, if this, then that, then a lot of playing it is trying to understand, well, then 
if you can reverse engineer it, then can't you just basically break the game? And understand what is the best way to play the game and stuff like that. So I get really nerdy and weird about it. But anyways, um, so a few games that I will just I will just throw out there. You can go, they're all almost all available on Amazon. I also get games from a Florida website called Cool Stuff Inc. Um, and there's also another website called Miniature Market. Those are my three gaming websites. Okay. So here we go. Uh, there's a great game called Azul, A-Z-U-L, which is um, basically premised upon um, Portuguese tiles, like those beautiful tiles that they have. Um, basically, it's kind of these tiles, and you have to arrange them, and you, you roll dice and stuff. Anyways, it's a beautiful game. Everybody loves it. Highly recommend it. Santorini, which is one of my favorite games, and it's a game that I want to take on site because I want to play Ben. Oh, cool. Because I think that you, I think that you would really like this game. Okay. Basically, it's it's a two person game. Um, it's basically abstract, an abstract version of like chess or checkers, where you're, but basically the pieces, the way that it works out is that when you're done, it's supposed to look like Santorini, so all the pieces are like these white buildings with like a blue dome, mm, mm-hmm. and each move, depending on what you do, you can build the building until you can like put the dome on top. Anyways, great game, highly recommend it. For parties, junk art, but make sure that you get the wood version, not the plastic version. It's basically a stacking game. It's like this game where with all these wooden pieces and you have these like cards that get played. And so everybody has to like play according to those rules. So sometimes it'll be like, okay, uh, everybody take one piece and pass it to the left. Mm. And then that person has to put that piece as part of their sculpture. And you're basically building until somebody falls down. But it's it's a great game. Highly mm. recommend it. Uh, Sagrada, another game, kind of like Azul. It's about basically building stained glass windows, like Ooh. Sagrada Sagrada Familia. But you I build those, yeah. yeah, you build those um, uh, stained glass windows out of dice. So very, multi- very beautiful, translucent dice, and like it's a puzzle are they all, game. Are they all cubic? They're all cubic, but the way that you build it is like basically you have this kind of like uh, template puzzle, and there are certain rules. So like. You can't put two colors next to each other. You can't put two of the same die next to each other. So three can't go next to three. Mm. Um, and then there's additional restrictions that are based on the, the, the on the card that you pull. So as you pu- you're pulling dice, like that's kind of how you're doing it. So you're trying to to create this thing. Um, there are rules about the thing that you're trying to create, but you have to do it within the confines of the rules that they give you. So it's kind of it's it's good. It's a really smart game. I actually really like it better than Azul. Um, and a lot of times those games are compared to each other. Azul actually has a Sagrada-like game that's coming out, I think, next week mm. called Azul, um, the Stained Glass of Sintra, I think, um, which I haven't obviously played, but I, I really like Sagrada. So I highly recommend that. For those of you who are enophiles, there's a great game called Viticulture. It might be my favorite game of all time, but basically it's about uh, winemaking. Um, and, uh, it's just really beautiful and it's, it's, um, I'm trying to explain these games without using like really nerdy, like board game terminology. What um, would be, what would be nerdy terminology if you were to use that? What would, what would that even sound like? So viticulture. You, mean you, already, you already said winophile in this, in this description. <laughs> well, that's just called vocabulary, Ben. Okay. Um, okay. uh, no, viticulture is a worker placement game, um, kind of a Euro style game where you basically when it's your turn you place you have like three workers and you have to place them at different spots on the board and whatever you place them with okay this person you place here then you get like two coins if you place the worker here then they 
uh, harvest the grapes if you place a worker here, blah, blah. But once you place them there in viticulture, the next turn you cannot place them there again. So that sounds very simple as a rule, but once you actually kind of play it, it becomes very frustrating. Anyways, viticulture, mm. very good game. Enjoy it a lot. For all the mystery nerds, highly recommend Sherlock Holmes Consulting Detective, which can actually be played solo. It's a game that like comes with like files, like literal case files. Okay. And you read them. And if it's you in a group or if it's you by yourself, you basically try and figure out the mystery. Um, it's really great. It's, it's, it's fun to play, especially if it's like a two person. Maybe if it's I've never played it with more than two people, but maybe if you have like four people, like a family game. Like just, you know, pour some wine, sit around the campfire or fireplace because it's winter um, and play that. It's a good game. Okay. Um, and behind um, Viticulture, my second most favorite game is a game called Robinson Crusoe, uh, which is about Robinson Crusoe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a really, really, really good solo game. I highly recommend playing it solo. I don't recommend playing more than one person, but it's basically you are stranded on an island and you're just basically trying to survive um you're gonna die like winning the game is just not a thing that can happen but the struggle to do it is like really fascinating there's a lot of options so very much like that um what else i'm looking i like ticket to ride if i I can jump in your 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 rave yes Um, ben's a big ticket to ride fan i like ticket to ride it involves maps it involves trains um you build train routes across the board trying to connect various cities on different maps there's a europe map i play a nordic countries map which helps with all my swedish pronunciations for melody festival in time which is very useful and educational for me uh, there's a u.s map there's a indian map now there's an asian map there's all sorts of things and you sort of and a couple of the different boards have different variants um and different sort of twists to them but they're all pretty great and there's it's also a, a good um ipad or iphone game too it is i play, play it on ipad yeah. Um, which I like. So, yeah, Ticket to Ride is like a legendary game. It's up there with like Carcassonne and like Le- Settlers of Catan is like those foundational games that everybody loves. I've so, never played Catan. It's like a big one. I don't game. really like Catan and, and Carcassonne. I just the thing is, like a lot of these games that I'm, I'm recommending, like like I said, I have like 250 games, like probably 200 of those games all involve like the fantasy dungeon space like very typically board gamey like D style stuff which i don't yeah. really love as a theme but i'll play it because of the mechanics but the games that i've recommended are games that are like straight up not that and i think yeah. that are are much more palatable to like non-geeky nerds you know like yeah it's like oh well this is just fun and um and so the last game or two last games that i'll recommend one is a game called fuse which is basically um diffusing bombs via dice so you get like this stack this deck of cards and, and it's timed and it's like a speed game but basically you have to like roll the dice and keep rolling the dice until like the certain things come up that are on your card and then you've diffused that bomb and you have to grab a new one um but it's like a it's a pretty cool it's a good like party game um so i like that quite a bit and then the last one that i will recommend is either hardback or paperback for people who like books and reading and word games so it's basically kind of like a new revised version of not scrabble really but like you deal out these cards into like a pool and you obviously have your hand and you pull from that pool to create words and obviously there's point value to those words 
Um, but um, but yeah, it's it's a good it's a good word game um, for people who like Scrabble but want something newer. So yeah, that's what I got. That was comprehensive. That was good. That was. I hope so. I mean, and I have other recommendations. If you want to, you're more than welcome to like tweet at NCR or at me at Forty Deuce Twits. I'm happy to like be your board game concierge, which is basically what's been going on for the last like ten days of getting like messages from people being like, "Oh, I'm get- I'm thinking about getting my friend a game. Like, what do you suggest?" And it's like, okay, it's not that easy. Talk what me are they them. into? Yeah, talk me through. What's, what's their what do they like? What's their sign? What are they feeling? You know, what's their mood? Do are they, they play by or themselves? Kanye? Yeah. <laughs> do they play with people? Are they loners? Like, what do, what is the experience you're looking for? So I can be your board game concierge, but yes, that that's my board game thing. Um, and then the only other rave, oh, the other rave that I had, Prague. Oh my gosh, first time that I ever been to Prague. Mm-hmm. I had been wanting to go to Prague for a very long time, as Ben knows. Uh, we were going to go to Prague a few years ago, but we ended up going to Bratislava instead. Were we um, actually talking about going to Prague that much? I really wanted to go to Prague. And you were like, eh, everybody goes to Prague. Let's go somewhere where nobody goes. Let's go to Bratislava. <laughs> that was probably exactly my logic. <laughs> it was like, uh, trust me, I am very, very clear as to your logic on that Believe trip. me, I've heard you mention the Bratislava <laughs> trip and, and whose idea it was so many times. Ben, I, I, would, rem- I would never redo it. Because yeah. if, if we did, then I would never have this thing to hold over you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, I but like Bratislava. There were, the, there were the sort of pancakey things. There was You picked a hostel that had a bullet hole in the window that added character. I mean, there was a lot of good things going there was a lot. There was, there was beer. Yeah. I didn't mind Bratislava. It's just like even you had to admit that, like, we left a day early. Did we? Oh, yeah, we did. Yeah, I we guess. we left early to go back to Vienna because well, we yeah, kind of were like, "What else are we doing?" Yeah, we we booked too many days there. I think. Yeah, it was yeah. Where, yeah. We I did like th- it there. Yeah, three days. Um, but anyways, so uh, but I had been wanting to go to Prague for so long, and so like the Fed Cup final was in Prague. I was like, "Oh, two birds, one stone." I've never been to the O2 Arena, and I've never covered a Fed Cup final. I've only been to one Fed Cup and one Davis Cup before that. So I was like, "Okay." Anyways, it, the actual final was awesome, um, and it was, like, really cool to, like, cover an event that I had no idea what the hell was going on. Like, I, it made me appreciate kind of how much easier my job is being WTA insider for WTA, because mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, I'm kind of catered to, you know? Like, I get the heads up, I know what's yeah. going on, like, I know who to talk to when I need X, Y, and Z, etc. And there it was just, like, you're a total afterthought. You're back yeah. in the pack, yeah. Yeah, and and not it wasn't bad. I mean, it was they were very hospitable, but like like Safarova retired. I had no idea she was even giving a press conference, mm. and I was like, oh, I was literally sitting there, and I was like, man, who is talking? Because we're literally sitting next to the press room, and I was like, somebody's some ladies just talking nonstop in Czech, <laughs> and then like forty five minutes later, Czech press, Lucy Safarova retires. I'm like, the what? Okay, a little heads up would have been nice, but that's fine. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so, but the whole weekend was amazing. The O2 was awesome. It's everything that, that I had been told about, just all the energy and everything was great. Checks won. Americans definitely like represented themselves well. Sophia Kennan, hell of a job. Yeah. Um, and that tie very easily could have gone down to the fifth rubber because Kennan really could have won both of her matches. So yeah, it was great. But Prague, the city, I was telling Ben this and I really do feel its way. I may never go back to Berlin. 
now that I, Prague is on the Prague is on the table. It was like I loved it so much. And it was like what I loved about Prague, because Berlin is usually my go to like Europe city, mm-hmm. like when I have like a week off. And like but the thing about Berlin is that I also when I'm walking around Berlin kind of know I'm not cool enough to be in this city. Like it's kind of weirdly intimidating. Like it is an intimidating past, city, yeah. You walk past bars or restaurants and you want to go in, but you're also like, I don't know. Like I don't know if I'm like, it's appropriate for me to go to that place. So like whatever. And Prague, what I loved about it was like it was just like whatever, and it still had all that old world charm and a lot of history. And obviously, it's very tourist oriented as well. But um, I don't know. I just I just really loved it. And it's also um, way cheap too. Oh my god, so cheap, amazing. Um, so yeah, I big shout out to Prague and would encourage anyone who hasn't gone to definitely go because it was, it was awesome. I had a really yeah. good time. I also went to Prague once for a Fed Cup final 2014, Czech Germany, which was a lot of fun. And yeah, O2, all, I had very similar experience to you, just liking, liking Prague a lot and thinking it was a cool place to be and just a nice, yeah, it's a cool place to see tennis also in action and women's tennis too in that Fed Cup scene they have going there yeah, and my t- my tie also was i think a 3-0 win but it was also like a competitive 3-0 and uh yeah was yours it's, germany it's, it's cool. yeah yeah germany right. it was kerber and pekovic were the team um and there was a really good third rubber with germany with checks up it was it was um no it was kerber versus kvitova and it went like over like three and a half hours or something yeah to, to finish it it was great no, it was really, really cool. I mean, like, the Czechs walked in drunk. It was great. Like, yeah. after they won, like, they walked in, and I was, like, I was, like, sniffing. I was, like, I was, like, they smell like Betchkarovka, which is, like, this very herbally. It's, like, Czech Jägermeister, basically, but more delicious because Jägermeister is a bit trash at this point. Um, kind of like a fernet. Uh, but, yeah, like. I knew and, none like, of those words, but, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, stick with me, buddy. I'll, I'll, I'll get you through that Jeopardy alcohol uh, category. Um, but, uh, but yeah, they were wasted and it was hilarious. Cause at one point, like Stritzova looks at me as like Petra is answering a question and she's like, we're so drunk. And I was like, <laughs> like, like that. And I was like, I know I can smell it. And also, also you said that out loud. <laughs> also Stritzova wrote a book. I, I looked book. everywhere for it. I went to like literally like six, at least six bookstores. And I don't think the book is out yet because every single place I went to, I like, I made them run the search and like every place was like, oh no, we don't have it. And they all were like really confused. My favorite was like stopping at this one place and they're like, oh, who is the author? And I was like, Barbora. And they're like, can you spell it? I was like, yeah, B-A-R-B-O-R-A. And then they're like, what's the last name? I was like, Stritzova. And they're like, how do you spell that? And I was like, Stritzova. Like Barbara Stritzova, tennis player, and they're like, no, and I was like, okay, so S T R Y C O V A. They're like, oh, Stritz, oh, Barbara Stritzova. I was like, what did I did I say it wrong? Like, what's, <laughs> Czech what's is going an on, impossible man? language. It's such it really an impossible is. language. Yeah. but um, but uh, but yeah, Prague was dope. I enjoyed it. Over to you, Ben. Okay, I will give a quick rave for dogs. You know, I have a dog now. Did I tell you about this? 
You have a dog? Well, kind of. My my roommate is fostering a dog. So there's been a dog around me. Oh, and I thought you would have heard this. I, no, I, I didn't hear about this. It. No. And so we have a dog. Um, if you want to adopt a dog in DC, we'd love to have you adopt it. Named Phoenix. Um, he is very energetic. And it's just it's just cool having. I had um, a dog sort of when I was a teenager at home, um, but not since then. And yeah, it's nice having. It's just it's it's sort of a positive energy to have, even in a small apartment it's just it's cool thing to do so this is a very brief very obvious rant for anyone or rave for anyone who has experienced pet ownership before but it's just sort of it's, it's nice having it it's a nice dimension to add to um a home if you're at all prepared for it dogs make you wake get out of bed yeah no, that's it, like it, one it, of the biggest things about like that i miss about like because we don't have a dog we obviously a year ago we had two dogs now we have no dogs but um but yeah, that that was a big thing. It's just this idea of like, you know, you had to you had to like be a contributing member of society. You had to like wake up at a certain hour because somebody needed to eat. Like little things like that, but it makes a big difference. Yeah, it can kind of kick you kick your button to gear that way, in exactly. a very useful sort of way, and keep you focused and keep you, yeah, responsible for something. Um, so that that can be good, but also just sort of the, you know, it can make you think of people things that are not yourself. For no other, no other better way to put it, which is kind of hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all those things, um, it's been been good so far, and yeah, that's that's pretty much it. That's much shorter. That was no, your no, rate. no gift, guys. I mean, you you went like thirty minutes, so I had to keep it relatively. Short. I apologize. I thought you had stuff to weigh in on as well, but okay. Well, I, I could. I well, you went twenty minutes. In fairness, looking at the clock. No, but, it's all, um, it's all right. It's all right. I'm trying. I'm trying to think of what if what other. Yeah, I I'll, I'll come up with more. We'll do we'll do another show soon. I'll think more of raves, um, but I was gonna rave. I was gonna rave about possibly about Ticket to Ride, not knowing you were gonna go full board. Oh, so, my bad. That's fine. No, that's no, good. It, it fit in much better. And yours was was useful and comprehensive, and mine would not have been. Um, I would have been like colors are cool. So, <laughs> yeah, that's that's about that. And uh, we will see you guys next time. Bye bye. Ciao. ships in the sky do or do not there's no try life became complicated modern times arrived board games are underrated I want a different life they say we'll get out of the city we say well there's no such thing There's a house in the country, in the country.